Hello, this is Lord Manga Khan of the Cluster, and you're listening to the Justice League International Bwahaha Podcast. Want to make something of it? Huh. Well, how was that, Elrond? Wonderful, Your Excellency. You are truly the Picasso of podcasts, the Michelangelo of the microphone, the Van Gogh of vocal control, the Renoir of RSS feeds. Yes, yes, that will be enough, Elrond. Of course I'm the best. I'm Lord Manga Khan, Overseer of the Cluster! Sir, you're shouting again. This episode, Justice League International number 21. Cover dated, uh, that's weird. There's no cover date. Hello, and welcome to the 21st episode of Justice League International Bwahaha Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. My name's the Irredeemable Shag, and I'm your host, but I'm not flying solo, folks. Every single episode, I feature a different guest host, and today my co-host is perfectly suited for this show, as he himself is an international man of mystery. He is our second Canadian guest on the show. Get it? Justice League International. Good, good. Glad to see you're paying attention. Uh, you may know this gentleman, and I use the term loosely, as one of the hosts of the First Strike Invasion podcast, or his Star Trek-themed podcast, or many other podcasts, or his prolific writings on his blog, or even from his homemade Doctor Who card game, which is where I first encountered him some 15 years ago. Folks, please help me welcome Siskoid. Welcome to the Embassy, Siskoid. Thanks for being here. How you doing, buddy? Good. Thanks for having me, finally. <laughs> I, I know that we're on a long schedule for these things. It is. It, the planning of this thing, like within, I don't know, 10 minutes of announcing the show, I think I had the first two years booked already, is pretty mm -hmm. much how that worked out. Now, yeah. tr truth is, I invited invited you for an invasion issue of one of the Justice League times, and you turned me down. Yeah, I said no. I, I, w I didn't want to do the same book twice, is what it was. I feel like I say everything I need to say that first time around, and if not, then in the comments for, you know, in the, the next episode after that. So I didn't want to be redundant. In any case, this is a good issue that we're going to do because it does have an invasion link. It is an invasion tie-in in a way, and one that we missed on the show, so we can talk about that later. You know what I could have done? I could have just took that episode you recorded with Boss, uh, First Strike Invasion, where you talked about the Just League episodes, and I could have just reset all of Boss's lines, and no one would have known the difference. It would have worked out just fine. <laughs> uh, well, you, it would have sounded weird coming from you, because I, I think you have more personal knowledge of uh, of comics in general than, than Boss did. Aww. Don't be well, mean to Boss. I love him. In fact, he's going to be a guest on an episode coming up, too. But it was his first time reading Justice League, so that would have been a, a weird thing for you to admit to. Yeah, well, I, I would have rewrote his lines. I would have I would have lucas it with special edition. That's what I would have done. <laughs> well, before we get too much further, we should probably take a second to thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of the JLI Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off, with free shipping for orders of 50 
$50 or more. Now, each episode, we select a collected edition to briefly discuss from the InStock Trades library. Usually, it's tied to that month's JLI issue in some way, shape, or form. And in fact, my pick this month is Mr. Miracle by Jack Kirby Trade Paperback. This collects uh, the whole original run of Mr. Miracle's 18 issues. Of course, it's you know written and drawn by Jack Kirby. It's amazing. If you've never read the original Mr. Miracle series, you don't know what you're missing. I picked it up years ago in a trade that was black and white, and since then, I've seen him in color. Oh my gosh. I mean, yes, the black and white works because you can appreciate the Kirby art, but in color, like this trade I'm talking about here, it's even better, folks. So you should check this out. It's 448 pages. Oh my gosh. In full color. Normally retails for $29.99, but you can get it for 42% off right now, which only costs you $17.39. That is a heck of a deal for some awesome, awesome comics. And uh, it's a great entry point if you've never really kind of grokked onto the new gods. It's the way to go. Now, mm-hmm. Ciscoid, the way this works is usually the guest, at least the cool kids, bring in stock trades recommendation. Not that you had to. I won't think less of you. Well, okay, I probably will think less of you if you didn't. But did you happen to bring in stock trades recommendation? I did. And I even looked for one even before, you know, before we, we collaborated on uh, on a document to just, you know, just to coordinate things. And at that time, I picked the same book you did. Oh, <laughs> small world. OK. <laughs> well, I wanted it to be I mean, it's this is a story that's going to be on Apocalypse. So I wanted it to be some Kirby stuff. And Mr. Miracle seemed great. And also, I mean, I have the fourth world omnibuses. No Omnibi. way. The, the 1500 uh, page thing. No, the the four volumes. When oh. it was four volumes. Okay. Right? And that just goes, uh, here's an issue of Jimmy Olsen. Here's an issue of Mr. Miracle. Here's an issue of New uh, of uh, New Gods. Here's an issue of, you know, so it's an order of publication for the whole fourth world. Oh, wow. But, you don't, but it's not, you know, but this, you can get the entire Mr. Miracle story all in one go instead of having to, you know, collect several books. And so uh, that was my choice originally. So instead, uh, I'm going with another Justice League confrontation with Darkseid. Mm. Uh, and that's Rock of Ages is Ooh. a storyline where... That kind of thing happens uh, as part of the JLA uh, Trade Paperback Volume 2. It's also got, you know, Lex Luthor and the Injustice Gang, and uh, it collects JLA 10 through 17, uh, Prometheus number 1, and JLA Wildcats number 1. So you, you get a lot more than just Dark Side. <laughs> JLA Wildcats? Oh my gosh, okay. <laughs> That's a pretty good, I mean, they're against the Key, and uh, or the, not the Key, but the Time Commander or somebody. The Lord of Time, one of those. I mean, it's Morrison. It's still Morrison, okay. even though the Wildcats are involved. And with artists... Uh, Howard Porter and Gary Frank mostly through these issues. It's 320 pages. It was $24.99. It is $14.49 on in stock trade. So that's a savings of 42%. Heck of a deal. And, you know, that Grant Morrison run on JLA is just absolutely wonderful. I mean, they, they brought the, the Magnificent Seven back, and they did a great job. That's a great pick. Thank you, Cisco. But, folks, for these and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Now, we are going to have some fun talking about Justice League in just a minute here. But remember, if you want to participate, if you want to tell us why you love those trades so much, if you want to tell us why Cisco is absolutely wrong in everything he's going to say, and trust me, there's going to be a lot of it, uh, use our hashtag, which is PoundFWPodcasts. Or you can go out and find us on Facebook and Twitter, that we're the JLI Podcast. And we want to hear from you guys. We want you to be part of the show. When we get to the feedback, you'll see how many of you guys contribute. It's amazing. We want this to be all about building a community of JLI fans online. So please, please, please let me hear from you. Now, this is the part of the show where Cisco just starts getting things wrong right out of the gate because it's going to be all about him. So, Cisco, let me ask you, uh, what is your personal origin story with the JLI? How did you discover this book and what made you fall in love with it? How am I not an expert on my own? life. <laughs> uh, 
I'll, I'll tell you how. After the age of 43, you start forgetting things and making stuff up. That's the, that's the truth of it. Uh, but I do have a vivid memory of getting Justice League number one. Really? And yeah, because I, I'd gotten Legends. Mm-hmm. Uh, after, you know, after Crisis, I sort of got into Man of Steel and, uh, the, 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 you know, John Byrne's Superman. And that's where I really became a DC head, I think. Because of the Crisis, everything was like sort of a blank slate. So I could start reading the DC books that I hadn't been reading because it was all like starting up. And anything that wasn't just starting up, I sort of avoided. I wasn't really really reading Batman. I wasn't really reading New Teen Titans, you know. Mm -hmm. But everything else was so fresh, I got into it immediately. That included Booster Gold. That included Blue Beetle. uh, a A number of other books. So when Justice League ended, uh, Justice League of America, uh, and then I read Legends, of course I was going to get Justice League. Of course. And uh, I remember it at a... There was this small convenience store, the closest to my home. And I didn't even know they, they had comics there. I, I never went in at all. And it was behind some posts. It was like behind a... You know, you had to go in the back and then there was like <laughs> this little alley with a dead end and there was one rack of comics, you know? Now, now let me ask. And, I'm going to interrupt your yeah. story for just second. Now, folks, for those of you at home may find this very hard to believe, but English is not Siskoid's first language. Uh, it's actually French. So, when you found this comic, was it in French or was it in English? No, 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 no. I mean, I, at an early age, I was reading French comics or French translations, which are terrible. <laughs> uh, it, we, no, I mean, we got them from Heritage or Heritage was the name of the publishing house, and uh, they did basically they did Marvel and DC Comics in black and white mm-hmm. and replaced all the dialogue, but because they were trapped in those little bubbles and French is a language that uses more words. There's more linking words in phrases. Okay. So, the, you know, the lettering never really fit. So it was like really, really scratchy trying to fit whatever the dialogue in the bubbles. Uh, so it, they look terrible. So I read some of those when I was like, I don't know, third grade or something. Mm-hmm. But but by fourth, fifth grade, I was reading reading in English, no problem. Oh, okay. I, uh, I trained myself on uh, Richie Rich and um, Archie <laughs> Comics. So the story of Rob's life and then Archie Comics. Perfect. Yeah, okay. and then Archie Comics, yeah. Um, because I had an aunt who would drop off these huge bundles of comics, like bathroom readers, basically. And uh, she would just drop them off at the house. And, I mean, piles that were as high as I was. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so I trained myself to read English, even though I probably didn't know every how, how to pronounce the words. Like, though, uh, I would probably say thou or thog. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I, you know. I'm a 10-year-old kid in the story. Right. But when... Justice League came out. By that time, I had been, you know, buying my own comics for a little while. I, since 81, 82, okay. probably. Yeah. When is this? When is Justice League? 87? 87 for issue number one. We're in 88 yeah. by this point. Uh, the yeah. end of 88. So, yeah. So the first issue came out, I was, if it's 87, I was 16. Okay. So I go into this uh, this place, it's called Jack and Jill's, which is unusual because all the other convenience stores in town had some sort of uh, mystical or rocket ship theme. <laughs> they, were, they were called Apollo News and uh, Astral and stuff like that. So <laughs> Okay. So Jack and Jill's, was, you know, it, it didn't seem to have comics, be- maybe because of that. I didn't make that connection. Uh, so I walk in, I go around the back, and there's that Justice League, you know, and it's also the first place I found uh, Suicide Squad, which oh. also a spinoff from Legends. And it was the only place, actually, that sold uh, Suicide Squad for the longest time. So I had to go back and go back and go back. But Justice League, yeah, the first issue I got it there, obviously I could get it elsewhere later, and you know, by that time, all the bookstores had it. It was a best-selling book, after all. But yeah, that's why I remember getting that first issue there. Was it, was it, love, I, it, was it love at first sight? 
Well, it had all the characters I wanted to read about. Okay. It had Dr. Fate, which was one of my first, uh, you know, uh, superpowers action figures and someone I liked just from Who's Who. And then there was uh, Blue Beetle and Booster Gold who were losing their titles. Right. I guess Booster Gold wasn't in that first issue, but, you know, soon enough. Right. My issue uh, four. Yeah, so I liked all the characters. That's To call it love at first sight, I don't know. I was, at that point, reading any DC comics I could get my hands on, probably. Uh, in a couple years after that, I was reading every DC book. Hmm, you know? okay. Uh, yeah, that was me. So I read it because it was a DC book. I read it because it was the first issue. I kept reading it because I got in on the ground floor. Uh, I didn't dislike the humor. I, you know, as we've we've talked about this before, but, uh, you know, one of my big, uh, par- big parts of my collection and big parts of my collecting is Ambush Bug and so humor <laughs> comics and humor superheroes. The, the first comic I ever bought uh, with my own money in English was DC Comics Presents number 59, the, the Ambush Bug, the Legion of Substitute Heroes, right. uh, Superman, and uh, Keith Giffen's script. Or, or not script, plot, I guess. But so <laughs> there, there's no... Uh, I mean, that's part of my DNA since the, the very beginning, really. Humor comics, humor and superheroes. And I've loved that ever since. And Keith Giffen, um, too. So that works out well with this. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, this was probably made for me. Uh, I don't have a, a specific memory of loving it or whatever I thought about it at age 16. Uh, I did collect it through, well, um, until uh, oh, until way beyond <laughs> the not being so good. All right. <laughs> I, I collected it through, you know, when Booster Gold had that armor, that huge armor? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I quit around that time. Okay. Fair enough. Totally understand. You know, now that I'm thinking about this, with you, you being a French speaker, and boss being a French speaker, and I have both of you coming on the show fairly soon. I really missed a trick. I should have had you guys on to talk about some Justice League Europe issues when they're actually in France speaking French. You know, maybe I should have you uh, like help me out while I'm doing covering Justice League Europe, and like you can you can be my uh, advisor and tell me how they do with their French language stuff in the comics. Sure, and check out. I don't know when this comes out exactly, but one of our last episodes of Invasion, number episode thirty six. Uh, talks about Justice League Europe and that first day in Paris. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do to talk quite a bit about Parisian, French, Quebecer, Acadian attitudes as to how they compare. Like, is that environment well represented, that Parisian environment, as far as uh, just the way that French people are mm-hmm. or see to us? So we do talk about that quite a lot. Awesome. Well, I will definitely run back with you and Boss and we'll figure out just how well uh, they did in scripts of the French. So let me ask you now that we've figured out, so where you found JLI, who were some of your favorite characters? Now, try and narrow it down to three. I know, mm-hmm. um, was it, was, was three in French? Trois. Okay. Try and keep it to, to at least trois, uh, because the <laughs> other, every, every other guest on the show doesn't seem to be able to. Let's see how you do, buddy. Yeah, well, I, can I pick from the ancillary characters, like the supporting staff? Like Kilowog or something? Or Yeah, <laughs> okay. like Kilowog yeah, sure. or something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, C- Catherine Colbert is one of my favorites, so yeah. Well, yeah, sure. So then, of course, you know, in the team itself, I've always, you know, I gravitate towards uh, Beetle and Booster and Mr. Miracle, which were books I had read or were reading, uh, you know, their solo books, mm-hmm. which made Made them more interesting to me, and especially since they were like a trio very often. But uh, my favorite character in the, the entire cast is Elron. Really? Yes. Uh, I seem to. But uh, you know, people know that we have a role-playing show. Uh, well, they <laughs> might I, not, I, considering how rarely it comes out. It's called the Hero <laughs> Points Podcast. Discord and I do that together, and uh, yeah. once a year we put out an episode <laughs> together. But we put out more episodes than that separately. That's true. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so of course the, the whole concept of that show is born of the the, the fact that we both role-played in superhero campaigns, specifically DC Universe kind of stuff. Uh, and in my own DC games, 
I always play, let, let's call it a Mary Sue. I always play a character that is there just, you know, at the base and sort of giving missions and mm, sort of being mm-hmm. exasperated uh, at uh, the, the, the antics of the other heroes and whatnot. Not really participating, although he might bail them out, you know. Yeah, the game master uh, NPC. I get you. Right. And that character changes. It's not always the same. I've, I, you know, I've played, I've played several characters like that, but they're always, they always have the same personality. And that's pretty much Elrond's. Elrond's is the, <laughs> Elrond is the template, is the template late for all my Mary Sues. So maybe he's closest to me. If it's a Mary Sue, I mean, it's really me, right? Uh, so maybe, yeah, Elrond is very much my sort of acerbic kind of wit in, in life. The way I like to troll players is the way that Elrond sort of trolls both Manga Khan and then later the Justice League. That is too funny. Okay. Awesome. Uh, so very- I mean, I'm kind of jealous that he appears on uh, uh, Professor Zoom's uh, podcast and, and stuff because <laughs> uh, I feel a certain you know, ownership of the character. Oh, wow. Well, he did uh, just appear on the Summer Sampler. He and uh, yes. MangaCon hosted the Summer Sampler. So there you go. Yes, yes. So uh, I, I was very happy for that because, uh, like I said, more the more Elrond I get, the, the more, uh, you know, the more, uh, the happier I am. <laughs> so by my count, uh, we got Blue Beetle, Booster Gold, Mr. Miracle, and Elrond. That's four. You failed. No, just, Way to go. I just mean Elrond. I mean, if you were asking <laughs> me, you know, if I were to go for the, the, the superheroes, I gravitate towards some, but I'd say, you know, top of the line, my favorite favorite character uh, in the book is Elrond. All right, well, those are great characters. Can't argue with those. Now, to keep the show moving, folks, we're going to go on to our next segment, something I like to call... Monitor Duty. And this is where we talk about comics on the shelves the same month as this issue of JLI. And in this case, uh, this issue was on the shelves on September 13th, 1988, thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that information. So, DC Comics on the shelves in September 1988 that uh, involved the JLI characters. Here we go. Cosmic Odyssey number three, uh, in from by, of course, Jim Starlin and Mike Mignola. Now, the epic continues, featuring Batman, Martian Manhunter, and Dr. Fate. It also, interestingly enough, includes Darkseid from this very issue, plus future JLI members, Orion and Light Ray. How cool is that? If you haven't read Cosmic Odyssey, you really, really should. And it was recently covered by our good friends Paul and Mike over on the DC OCD podcast, uh, over on the Waiting for Doom podcast, which is where they're covering all these major crossovers from DC. In fact, they did Invasion not too long ago, and they did Cosmic Odyssey, and I think they rated it pretty darn high. Yeah, they were totally wrong to include it at all. And to like it. And to make it be better in their ratings than Invasion. (laughs) I do Uh, not have a grudge. I have a grudge. I will not argue with you that it should not have been included. Uh, I told Paul that myself. I said that was total BS. Uh, Because it's a good story, but it's not a big crossover. So, anyway. Also on the shelves uh, this same month is Secret Origins number 34. Now, this is where they're doing the Justice League International Origins, folks. They continue here. Now, as as I've said in previous episodes, we're not going to cover these same issues as Secret Origins. Ryan Daly did a fantastic job over in the Secret Origins podcast covering these issues, talking about the Justice League International Origins, and really the mandate of this show is to try and focus on the Giffen and DiMatteis books, and very few of these origins are actually by that team. So, uh, in Secret Origins number 34, it includes Captain Adam's origin by Kerry Bates, Greg Weissman, and Alan Weiss. It includes Rocket Red's origin by Bill Mester Loeb's and Irv Novick. It includes Nort's origin by Keith Giffen and Jam DiMatteis and uh, Stefan DeSofanov. So there you go. There is our team together. Uh, and uh, as I said, check out the Secret Origins podcast, uh, episode number 34. It's well worth your time. Now, if we go 
over to the bat corner of the DC Universe at this point. At this point in history, it's pretty small. It's only two books. Boy, that's going to change by the time 1989 rolls around. But mm. uh, Batman number 427 was on the shelves by Jim Starlin and Jim Aparo. And it's Death in the Family, part two. Eek! If you've never heard of it, it's kind of important. Uh, sadly, it will lead to the death of Jason Todd. And for more information on people who voted to murder Jason Todd, please see uh, Rob Kelly, my podcasting life partner, who did, in fact, call to kill Jason Todd. Way to go, Rob. Uh, then over in Detective Comics number 593, John Wagner, Alan Grant, and Norm freaking Brayfogle do a fantastic job where Batman battles the, the murderer Cornelius Sturk and his mental powers, which uh, he likes to create fear in the minds of people, including the Dark Knight. So for more information on Batman during this era, please check out our network's Batman Nightcast by Chris Franklin and Ryan Daly, both past guests of the show. And then you have Captain Adam number 22, which, by the way, I just read the other day, by Kerry Bates, Greg Weissman, and Pat Broderick, where Captain Adam continues his one-man crusade through Central America, and he ends up stuck between a rock and a hard place, also known as Plastique and Nightshade. For more on Captain Adam, please check out Jay Jones' coverage over in the Silver and Gold podcast and the Splitting Adams blog. Jay's a past guest of this show, and I'll tell you a little secret. We're going to do a Captain Adam episode sometime in the future, but shh, don't tell anybody. So what else was on the shelves, Siskoid? Uh, well, let's look at uh, characters that were in Justice League Europe. It's not a, it's not a book that exists yet. These aren't uh, Justice Leaguers yet, but we're about four months away from JLE. Uh, so Animal Man, Animal a member Man. of the JLE. Animal Man! Uh, <laughs> briefly a member of the JLE. Uh, Animal Man number five is on the stands, of course, by Grant Morrison and Jazz Truog. Uh, this was the issue that changed everything. It's uh, the Coyote Gospel. So, I mean, that's the, this is where Animal Man becomes an Animal Man, or, you know, the, the notorious book, Animal Man. It is, uh, that issue is amazing. It, amazing. It, oh, so good. Now, Ruka, I want to tell you, you said Animal Man, it doesn't stay with the team briefly, or I was only with the team briefly. You know, actually, sure. looking back, it's almost a year, as crazy as that sounds. Is it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have to go back and look at the exact issue number, but it's really close to a year that he's, he's kind of in the background a lot of the times, yeah. but you get almost like a Mr. Miracle vibe, where he's hanging out, cracking jokes with like Metamorpho or Elongated Man. He's always kind of there, bouncing jokes off the off the other guys who are so funny. Right. It's not like a Wonder Woman thing where right. he got pulled after, like, one issue. I, more uh, like four panels, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, she appears in, like, two stories. Yes. Uh, one of which is a New Teen Titans annual. Anyway. Right. Uh, uh, Flash number 20 is also out uh, by, Will uh, by William Messner-Lobes and Greg LaRock. Uh, in this one, Wally becomes homeless, uh, and it's a sort of an invasion tie, and we did cover this uh, on my show. We did cover this one, yep. <laughs> where uh, there's a Dur and shows up and all that. Yep. And again, that folks, that's First Strike Invasion podcast. I don't get a chance to say this too often, so I will. I'll just put it out here. That is one of my favorite shows. Now, whatever you do, guys really? at home, guys at home, don't tell Siskoid. His ego will get huge. But well, I... Let, let me tell you something right back. Nightcast is one of my favorite shows <laughs> on the network. It really is. Thanks. I love Nightcast. Thanks so much. I'm really honored that you'd say that about Chris and Ryan's show. Um, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I love Invasion Podcast. Seriously, like anytime it comes out, I drop what I'm doing. It goes right to the top of my queue. Part of it is I love those issues. Part of it is I love that era. Part of it, I just, I think you and Boss did a great job, do a uh, great job covering it. So, you know, with it coming to an end, uh, it'll be nice to see that your uh, success and everything just crumbles underneath you. So that'll be fun. Mm -hmm. Fun to watch. Yep. <laughs> On that happy note, folks, I think we're going to take a podcast promo break. I wonder what they're going to hear in the promo. Hmm. <laughs> Let's find out. When we come back, we're going to cover Justice League International number 21. Stop and listen. Stop and listen to me. Listen. Listen. Listen to me. They're not human. Everyone. They're here already. Your name. 
November 4th, 1988, Earth is invaded by an alien alliance composed of several species, including the Dominators, the Kunz, the Tanagarians, and the Durlins. And they want our superheroes. Even though Australia has been decimated, the United Nations response is unequivocal. Drop dead. First Strike, the Invasion Podcast, takes you back to that moment in time and covers the entire Invasion DC Comics crossover, issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes. First Strike, the Invasion Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, Melbourne. Alexander Hamilton, Aaron Burr. If you're a history lover or a musical lover, you probably know about both Hamilton and Burr's rise to power in the early stages of American history and their infamous duel. But what if you didn't know the full story? What if one of them was a werewolf? White Rocket Entertainment proudly presents a 48-page full-color comic book, Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale. Written by Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist. Art by Nate Niles. Colors by Ace Wheely and Ken Solomon. Letters by Percival Constantine and edited by Johanna Albrecht. Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale. Available digitally on Kindle and Comics Central. C-O-M-I-X Central. Prefer a print copy? Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale, along with my other published works, are available at theyardsaleartist.bigcartel.com. That's theyardsaleartist.bigcartel.com. Or you can buy it directly from me, Creator Jared Albrecht, the art sale artist, at any of my Comic-Con appearances. Hamilton vs. Burr, a werewolf tale. Get your copy today. You won't regret it. Don't take my word for it. Here's what Ming Chen from AMC's TV series Comic Book Men had to say about it. I really enjoyed it. A lot of great werewolf scenes in here. A lot of great... Uh, this is how I wish history would be told to kids. <laughs> <laughs> Books like a- a Hamilton vs. Burr, a werewolf tale. That's Hamilton vs. Burr, a werewolf tale. And we're back, folks. Now, if you want to follow along, if for some reason you cannot find this comic... Now, I'll be honest, I didn't own this comic when I was a kid. I actually read it from a library. That's the first time I ever read this issue as a library's comic. I thought about stealing it. I didn't. I now own, like... I don't know. Somehow I own, like, three copies of it. But you're not coming to read mine, folks. I'm sorry. What you're going to have to do is go to our website, firewaterpodcast.com slash JLI, and there there will be an image gallery where you can check out some of the images we're going to talk about from this issue. So go out there, check it out. All right, let's get into this, folks. It is Justice League International number 21, published by DC Comics, cover price 75 cents, three shiny quarters, and the cover date is, as I said in the opening, there is no cover date. That is so weird. So I, I looked at it, and I thought, okay, hmm, maybe a direct uh, market version versus newsstand, did a bunch of research on it. No, no, there's a reason here, folks. In fact, I went digging, and I found a book from Tomorrow's Publishing called American Comic Book Chronicles, the 1980s, and I'm going to do a dramatic reading as an excerpt. From the section entitled, DC Comics straightens out its cover dates, check that out, it reads, One of the goals DC Comics had for 1988 was bridging the gap between its book's cover dates and publication dates. The three-month gap between a comic book's cover date and its actual publication date was intended to extend the amount of time the comic books were displayed on the newsstand before the dealer pulled them for newer materials. Now, some of you at home may have just had a V8 moment where you slapped yourself in the forehead because you never knew why the, the cover date was always different from the release date. That's why it was to keep it on the shelves longer and to tell the dealer when to pull it. 
1988, they kind of wanted to straighten that out. And I'm going to keep reading here. It says, um, <clears throat> with the comic book industry growing ever more reliant on the direct market, that means comic book store folks, there became no good reason to have a three or four month gap between the issue's cover date and its publication date. Then it goes on to say, you know, and they wanted to reduce that amount of time. So to accomplish this, DC had to remove the cover dates altogether from books being sold in October and November 1988. Now this particular issue went on sale in September 1988, so obviously it extended in September. So yeah, that's why there's no cover date, and I don't think there's a cover date for a few months as they play catch-up. That is kind of cool. Good on you for doing research and going to libraries and all that. Or you could have asked me because I live in this in this three month period. <laughs> you know, first strike is just that three month period, and so oh, wow. everything. Yeah. Um, so you knew all so this. Well, I knew it, but you know, here you read it from the experts, and it's got like more details than probably I could have given you. Okay. Good job. I, I didn't. I always remembered that somewhere, somewhere along the lines, they tried to shorten the gap, but I didn't realize how official it was. So there we go. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, getting into this issue, the cover is by Keith. Keith Giffen and Ty Templeton. So Keith did the pencils, Ty did the inking. Uh, Cisco, why don't you describe the cover to our folks at home? Well, a battered blue and gold trapped under a pile of brown-suited bodies, presumably parademons, but not colored that way. Hunger dogs, maybe. Uh, as fire's legs stick out vertically from behind them, Beetle says, well, here's another fine mess you've gotten us into, as if it were Booster's fault. <laughs> this cover kind of sums up our relationship, don't you think? Well, I'm definitely Beetle, then. <laughs> I was thinking that, too. I'm probably more of a booster. I, I perhaps I'd prefer to be fire's legs. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's Rob. His his head is in deep <laughs> when it comes to this podcasting business. But you're the guy that that put me into the podcasting arena, Aww. and and now I mean it's taken over a, a sizable piece of my you know time. I unleashed you on the world, and if, uh, I did in fact make Cisco do his first podcast. So for that, I apologize to all of you, especially me and all my friends who are trapped. <laughs> that's right. I know you've, in the podcast. you brought. A posse with you. I just meet random yeah. people on the internet. You brought friends. So. Uh, yeah. so the cover, it's really interesting. I mean, I know Keith Giffen on the interior has done the breakdowns, you know, since the series began. So maybe, I, I don't know exactly what made him want to pencil the cover. I don't know whether Ty was running late or it was a situation where he had a layout essentially he wanted to do and so he penciled it. I'm not really sure, but it looks nice. I really like Beetle and Booster. As you said, they look battered. I mean, they're bloody. They are colored red with running, you know, bleeding noses and, and foreheads and all this stuff and mouths, which is pretty, pretty impressive. And then I really like what Ty did with the line work. I mean, there's all kinds of variety yeah. of really thick lines, like especially around Beetle, the lines are really thick. That leg on the left-hand side, the lines around that are really thick. There's a lot of varying thicknesses of lines. I just think it looks really sharp. And the colors really pop because yet their heroes are very, very colorful. And the, the pile is in grays and browns and you know, muted tones. So the joke works. But that joke, uh, you know, seriously, while the legs are an amusing visual, talk it about, does... You talk about, talking about Fire's legs. Fire's legs. Uh, it does fall into that nasty headless woman trope and uh, I know it's her because she has the dis you know it has to be her because she's got those distinctive boots right, right. anyone else you might wonder who it is and it, it's a spot of green where the other characters are blue and gold but it let's say it hasn't aged well uh, as far as uh, gender politics go well say so explain the trope for people at home that aren't, aren't familiar with it well somehow and uh, let's call it the, the patriarchy uh, somehow a lot of artwork uh, and whether that's uh, movie posters movie posters are really bad for this or magazine covers or whatnot, uh, whenever they show a female character, they will often cut off her head. The head will not be part of the image. So, you know, you, that old, uh, let's say, you, in between the legs, there's a lot of movie posters like that. Where yeah, it's like, for, for your eyes only, famous one, yeah. yeah. 
Right, you're seeing characters be- between a woman's legs, but the woman is cut off at the shoulders or before the shoulders, right? So, but that happens a whole heck of a lot. And you'd look at even modern, you know, modern pieces that aren't about that whatsoever. The woman will often be cut off. Yeah. The symbolism of it is disturbing, let's say. I'm not saying that the artists are necessarily misogynists or anything like that. Not really. But it is maybe just like a style or you don't realize that what you're you're doing is is exactly that that you're cutting off a woman's head uh, and uh, just showing you know the the more sexual parts let's say and I think fires thighs qualify yeah I, I think they're <laughs> using the the sex yeah. cells kind of especially like the James yeah. Bond poster and especially this you know they're using the sex cells aspect and, and hopefully hopefully it wasn't a case of them purposely you know removing the woman's head sort of you know making her less important and just making the sex part important hopefully it was just their bonehead move not thinking it through so like you know what if, if it had been Barda and, and Booster you know like sticking out with their faces and she said you know Barda saying to Beetle this is another mess you've gotten us into then maybe you'd excuse the excuse the legs in that kind of case or something like that but, right yeah. I just think yeah the optics of it aren't very good but that's not something we would have noticed at the time yeah I think we're just more woke now some of us I'm kind of stupid still so yeah but. yeah <laughs> now I, will I said s- we I said we <laughs> I will uh, I do have to brag Fire's leg one of the things I like about it the most is on my copy it has Ty Templeton's signature when I met him at Heroes Con in 2017 I got him to sign a few shoes of Justice League like I did last month and this is one of the ones I had him sign and since that was the area of, with, with the most solid color he signed his name on Fire's Leg oh nice yay alright folks let's get into this issue plot and breakdowns by Keith Giffen script by J.M.D. Mateus pencilers Ty Templeton inker Joe Rubenstein letters Bob Lappin who deserves like some kind of medal or trophy because he's such an amazing letter uh, colorist Gene D'Angelo and editor Andy Helfer all right, and the issue is called Apocalypse Wow, which is pretty funny. And if you're younger, you might not get the reference to Apocalypse Now, but anyway, it works well. So here we go. Here's the recap. After many months apart, the entire JLI team, well, everyone except Max and Captain Adam, so the rest of the JLI team are finally back together again. Unfortunately, they find themselves on Apocalypse in the midst of a massive battle against an army of parademons. Now, the JLI members, uh, just transported from Earth, get up to speed thanks to a ridiculous amount of exposition from Lobo and Batman, and some of the members struggle to accept that they've been dragged across the universe for this fight. Specifically, Booster, Beetle, Hawkman, Fire, and Ice are all sort of bewildered. Of course, Guy Gardner doesn't hesitate at all as he jumps into the thick of the battle, not knowing much about it except that he's fighting parademons. Batman then jumps in and gets Oberon to safety, and then uh, he is shocked when he encounters Rocket Red in his brand new Apocalyptian armor. Though Batman's mostly shocked by Dimitri's choice of expressions, noting that it's appalling how well Dimitri has adapted to life in the United States. Watching the battle, Oberon thinks to himself that these hyperthyroidal supertypes only understand fighting and never stop to think things through in their situation. And, of course, because of clumsiness in the battle, Oberon, at that moment, gets knocked accidentally down through an open sewer grate. Ty Templeton uh, then shows us lots of great fighting action in the background. You know, ice is creating these ice walls and freezing parademons in the sky. Guy Gardner's spraying the parademons with bug spray, or he's creating boxing gloves, and Blue Beetle's constantly being overwhelmed with the parademons, and all this is sort of in the background. I, th- I think it's really nice that we added it in there. So uh, then Big Barda takes off looking for her husband, Mr. Miracle. She goes running away, and Lobo follows Barda, intent on collecting his contract to kill her and the previously space-bound JLI members. Lobo eventually catches up with 
with Barda as she's plotting to free Martian Manhunter and Nort from the Parademons. Meanwhile, up in space, the cluster ship continues its assault on Apocalypse. Elrond, Siskoi's favorite character, uh, bemoans their situation as they are obligated to follow Lord Mangakon's orders, even though Khan himself has been imprisoned by Darkseid's minions. Then, back on Apocalypse, Granny Goodness and Dr. Vermin Vundaba are proud of this ongoing battle with the JLI, and of their capture of Mr. Miracle. Now, Kanto, who's Darkseid's personal assassin, is the only one in the room who's actually thinking, and points out that Mr. Miracle has previously escaped their clutches dozens of times, and always makes them look like fools. And of course, around this time, Manga Khan, floating through the air in his energy form, finds the unconscious Mr. Miracle and frees him from his restraints. Now, the only problem is Manga Khan is in his energy form and doesn't have any arms in which to carry the unconscious Mr. Miracle out of the prison. Oberon blindly follows the dark tunnels under Apocalypse's soil and makes his way to what appears to be Darkseid's recreation of Mr. Miracle's living room. He does love those soft armchairs, you know. <laughs> A more amiable host than most cosmic tyrants, he offers Oberon. Oberon, a meal. <laughs> you don't refuse a meal from Darkseid. Hell no. <laughs> but you don't refuse anything from Darkseid. Uh, you know, that's dangerous. Uh, meanwhile, Lobo continues to fight Barda, but she's tricked him by blowing through a few walls, and now they're in front of a Parademon squad that he'll have to deal with as well. Mostly, she fights them, and he lets them go. They're not part of his contract, but Jean and Nort are part of his contract, so when Barda's back uh, is turned, he might as well do them in. Except the rest of the JLI bursts in just then. A main man just can't catch a break. <laughs> Havoc ensues until Darkseid shows up with Oberon, an unconscious Mr. Miracle, and the energy ghost of Manga Khan. The Dark Lord of Apocalypse has been told of Granny Goodness and Vermin Vundabar's scheme and put an end to it. Barda can have Scott Free. He doesn't care. Manga Khan has, has even cancelled the hit on the JLI payment in full so Lobo can stop it uh, with the violence already. If Manga Khan hoped to get in Darkseid's good graces so the cluster could do business with the his evil world no such luck Darkseid doesn't trade with anyone anymore not since that bad deal with high father all those years ago <laughs> the jli boomtubes home where captain adam is waiting for them with important news a call to action from president reagan there's an invasion see and but the leaguers just want a bubble bath and a good night's sleep talk to you later captain but 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 talk to you later <laughs> And then you get a giant coming next issue uh, box where it says, Next, alien hordes invade JLI headquarters, and no one's home. No one, that is, except Oberon. Be with us in 30, folks, when we proudly present Oberon Unbound. A kind of, sort of, invasion crossover. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much. It's, it was an invasion crossover. It absolutely and, was. and this is the bit I missed that I was talking about earlier, that Captain Adam is already... There's already a call to action from the president, so the invasion has started. They come back to Earth from Apocalypse, and they're already in the in a hot mess already. Now, I'm going to... And don't know it. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Okay, go ahead. Um, now, you say you missed an, this as an invasion prologue, and if you did, pff, way to go, buddy. Nice job. I mean, you're only doing a show, you know, an index show on this thing. But anyway, um, I read this page differently. It could be read a couple different ways, you know. The, Captain Adam's exact words are, I've been worried sick about you, sent out a priority one alert to the Army, Navy, and Air Force. The media's been at the door day and night. All available superheroes have been scouring the planet. The president's been calling every half hour. And the UN Security Council's in special session, right? Yes, you could read 
avoid all his invasion. Or you could read this as him saying, once the JLI went missing, he was worried, he notified the military, and everyone's been looking for them ever since. So you could sort of no-prize this and say he's not talking about the invasion, he's talking about the fact that the entire JLI went missing. It's possible. But I don't know how much... Is Reagan really that panicked about Blue Beetle gun going missing? <laughs> Maybe he's worried about fire and ice. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Who are not American citizens, Shag. True, but they have really nice shoes, and you know how Nancy loved her shoes. So I'm just saying. I guess. I don't know. It's It, it could be a prologue. It might not be a prologue. We'll have to it, figure yeah, that out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think Wikipedia, or whoever wrote the, the entry on Invasion, did not consider it to be a prologue. Uh, so uh, they didn't put <laughs> it in there. And, you know, well, when I started the show, I needed a, just like a, a basis for, okay, what issues do we have to cover? And instead of reading all of DC Comics in that year, <laughs> I stupidly went with the Wikipedia entry at first. I've, I've since done a lot more research, but, you know. I was going to say, give me five minutes. I'll fix that Wikipedia entry right now if you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't know if it is, uh, because you, you make a good point. The the way that the, the, the things that Captain Adam says, it's probably about them missing. But it also feels like it's all the same elements that are going to happen in Invasion Number 1. Right, right. I mean, the, yeah. it, it does dovetail nicely. So, so, so what do you think of this issue? Well, uh, I mean, it's a regular uh, issue of uh, Justice League in, in the sense that it is fun, funny. It's got a li little more, bit more action than usual, mm -hmm. I'd say. I would agree. Uh, yeah, uh, that's not a necessarily a bad thing. Let's talk about Ty Templeton because mm. uh, we've, you know, we've lost Kevin McGuire now, right? For well, what was his last issue? Twenty nineteen was his last issue. Uh, yes, except someone pointed out to me he comes back for twenty three and twenty four, which I completely yeah. forgot about. Yeah, he returns. Uh, he's in. Uh, he does the invasion bits. For sure. So, yep. but so we've got Ty Templeton uh, for uh, here in this issue, and I think Templeton can be a lot more humorous if you look at the stuff, even especially the stuff that he's written himself. The stuff like in Secret Origins, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Secret Origin of Bouncing Boy and the Secret Origin of the just, the Legion of Substitute Heroes, uh, which are pretty great. He does, there's a lot of visual gags in there. So uh, I wish he'd had his own head here, and that and that he could have done some of that. Is it a step too far in JLI to have that kind of stuff? Is is that pushing it? Well, remember um, Keith Giffen's the one who does the breakdown, so yeah, there is a lot of control still, here. You it, could still like draw a little something, you know, on top of that. And I think he did because I I mentioned it in the recap, like where he ice is freezing parademons and they're like falling to the ground and and guys doing boxing gloves and and beetles being overwhelmed. All of those were background images, so Keith probably didn't draw those. He probably drew the breakdown of the whatever the main action was and left the background. And this is all supposition, folks. I have no idea for sure. But you know the background stuff. He, I imagine he would leave for Ty to do. And so I think he was filling in stuff where he could. But you know six. We're we're apparently not going to agree on anything in this issue. So I don't know. Mm. Let's keep going. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like I said, there's more action in this, and they do call it in the captions the obligatory fight scene. Mm -hmm. uh, even, even though for this book. Fight scenes aren't really obligatory, you know? Right. So, <laughs> so it's interesting that they, they went there and showed us the real dire straits of fighting for your life on Apocalypse. You mentioned the title, Apocalypse Wow. Yep. Uh, I think it's more than just the word pun as well. It's a visual one. In the movie, uh, the title never appears as a superimposed graphic. It only appears as, you know, something painted on, on a building. Oh. So, yeah. 
And here, it's the same thing. It's painted on a building. Right. I totally didn't catch that. Yeah, it's a little more clever. So I like that as well. Elron is in here, Mm -hmm. happily, and so is his robotic friend, K. Dick. Essentially, I guess all the the robots in the cluster have are all named after science fiction authors. Yes, because last issue we had High Nine, which is Heinlein as well. Right. Collect them all. (laughs) (laughs) There must be a there must be some Clark or Asimov uh, analog as well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, you know, of course, the Parademons are less mindless and more uh, unionized, I guess, than we remember. Uh, That's totally in keeping with the Justice League, uh, you know, comedy. And those weren't in our recap. So what what Cisco is referring to is there's a lot of scenes where the Parademons are marching and doing stuff, and they're like cracking jokes amongst themselves with each other. You know, normally you think they're just mindless sort of monsters, but here they're just like dudes who are working. You know, it's, it's this like you said, it's the workplace comedy kind of aspect of it, where they're just cracking jokes and their supervisor like, "Be quiet back there." So it's uh, yeah, it's very different. Yeah, and you've also got Dark Side. Uh, are, are they making fun of Darkseid is maybe the question, because, you, you know, Oberon walks in and Darkseid's sitting in a big comfy chair in this sort of living room, in, you know, inside his cat, his fortress or whatever. And uh, no, this is this is actually a trope this that goes back to Kirby. So this is my favorite version of Darkseid, sitting in a living room like it's normal. Yeah. You know, he did in the original Mr. Miracle series. Uh, John Byrne used the, that kind of scene in uh, action comics where, uh, you know, the Mr. Miracle Big Bar. A sleaze story. Mm-hmm. Ambush Bug used that gag. Oh, Ambush yeah. Bug walks into his house okay. and uh, Dark Side's, well, a, a blow up Dark Side. <laughs> Spoiler, but uh, is sitting in a chair. To me, that's like great cognitive dissonance, you know, that, that, that thing that doesn't seem, that's so incongruous that Dark Side, this big cosmic tyrant sitting in a living room reading the paper, or in, or in this case, a book. And I, I couldn't quite make out what the book was supposed to be. Um, I'm pretty sure, because you don't. You don't only see the last couple letters of the two different mm-hmm. titles. I'm pretty sure it's Mein Kampf, Hitler's book, but it's spelled differently. It's spelled with a PH rather than an F at the end. So I did some Googling on it, and you do find Mein Kampf spelled with a PH instead of F sometimes. Okay. But it may just be people misspelling it, or it may be an alternative uh, German spelling. I don't really know, and I don't frankly care to figure that out. But uh, it's, uh, I think that it sort of makes sense if he's reading Hitler's, you know, My yeah, Struggle. Is sort of, for sure. Also, there's a, not a nightstand, but a, an end table next to him. And on the bottom, underneath there, you can just see uh, sort of sideways it's a it's a Mr. Miracle comic. It's like one of the original Mr. Miracle comics down there uh, mm-hmm. under, under his night stain, which I like. I want to talk real quickly about Darkseid in this easy chair, sort of that thing. You and I we come from similar backgrounds. We're sometimes almost like a brother from another country thing because of our loves of various products. We're both big Doctor Who fans. And John Pertwee used to always say that a villain was much scarier when you set them on Earth in a very comfortable setting like a living room or a bathroom. Of course, the famous joke you always used, which is meaningless to a lot of you, but is seeing a Yeti in the loo, which means the bathroom. Seeing a Yeti in the bathroom was always scarier than meeting a Yeti in space. And here yeah. you get Darkseid in a very much Earth-like setting. It's it's a comfortable suburban setting, and seeing him there, it's more shocking. It's like rather than seeing him like you know in a throne, he's sitting you know in a living room like you might have at home which is terrifying to think of. So I love it. I, I think it works great. Yeah. What did you think of the uh, Dark Side Ex Machina at the end? <laughs> yeah, that's the best way to put it. I mean, that's exactly what it is. It is uh, It's a big, hard stop. I mean, the story's just going, 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 you know, building, 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 and then he just pulls the rug out from underneath it. It is a, it is an Ex Machina, it, or uh, Dos Ex Machina. It really is that. But it works fine. I did. I read a couple of reviews online. I always kind of poke my nose around to see what people talked about this issue. Mm-hmm. And there are some people that say it's the most uh, anticlimactic ending of an issue they they had read in a while. So that that is how some people felt about it. For Justice League International purposes, I 
think it works fine. Because, as you said, the battles are kind of unusual to read in this comic. So something, a scene like this with Darkseid actually makes more sense for this series. Uh, I don't know. How did you feel about it? Well, I think there's something badass about Darkseid going, none of you matter. None of this matters. What is this? What is this stupid scheme? Everybody go home. <laughs> you know, he's thinking so far ahead. He's, he's a manipulator. You know, he's thinking so far ahead, the anti-life equation, whatever. And his sycophants trying to gain, you know, some sort of uh, <laughs> some sort of favor from him by doing what they think he wants, mm-hmm. like capturing Mr. Miracle. And we don't see them again. So presumably, in between panels, he's Omega Beam. Right. I was thinking the same in- thing. Omega Beam. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're out of existence until he needs them again, you know, right. sort of thing. But uh, <laughs> so to me, that's that's really badass. He walks in. He says, this is all meaningless drivel. What is this fighting? What is, you know, none of this matters to me. Go home. Go home now. And uh, everybody does. This is basically it. So I, it works in that sense. And I mean, with the dark side in the comfy chair and all that that's the the domestic sort of side to the, the mr miracle part of the fourth world mm-hmm. where you know it, the fourth world is so big and cosmic and epic and yet you had that mr miracle series in the middle of it uh, which was in the suburbs and uh, you know a, a man and his wife and his uh, his short buddy and uh, it, it seems so very small in a sense you know, Mr. Miracle had escaped the big epic stuff. Right. And uh, it keeps crashing into into his backyard, but <laughs> but it's still like a small story. And that, that small story, that small domestic story where Mr. Miracle is, you know, barbecuing, that's... That's the Justice League in a nutshell. That's the same tone as the Justice League. The, you know, big epic stuff in the background, but the little stuff uh, in the foreground. And Mr. Miracle was like that for the fourth world, and I think the Justice League International is like that for the DC Universe entire. So to have Darkseid be in that same mold, let's say, as he was in uh, in Mr. Miracle, that makes complete sense to me. Hmm. All right, that's an interesting perspective. I like the two comparisons. Uh, and along those same lines, there's a line that Darkseid Darkseid has in here that I absolutely love, which he basically says that he doesn't care about Mr. Miracle anymore. Because he says the minute the pact was broken between Eugenesis and Apocalypse when uh, when Scott Free escaped, you know, granny goodness, from then on, Mr. Miracle was worthless to him because the pact is broken and he doesn't care anymore. Now, obviously, that doesn't prove true because all of the original Jack Kirby stuff took place after Scott Free's escape and Darkseid mm-hmm. came after him and all this stuff since then. But as, as just an, a concept there, the idea that Darkseid just doesn't care anymore, he's like the honey Badger. He doesn't give an F, right? Uh, it, it, because the pa- the pact is broken. I like that, and um, yeah, it works well. And I like your analogy, like you said, about the how Mister Miracle was the the funny stuff or the or the suburban, the con- the real world day to day stuff, whereas the New Gods was just cosmic. Even the Jimmy Olsen stuff was you know far out. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, yes, it was. You know, in Cadmus and all that. So yeah, yeah, definitely. And at the same time, Mister Miracle is the exact opposite of Dark Side. They're, they're you know they're polar opposites. One is about tyranny and control and the other one's about freedom uh, if the fourth world is a, some sort of bible or you know some sort of uh, religious or you know mythic text mr miracle is the messiah of mm. that story because everything hinges on you know the villainy of the fourth world is that dark side wants the anti-life equation which will remove all free will is basically what the anti-life equation does and mr miracle is the you know is the representative of escape 
and freedom and Darkseid's incapability uh, when it comes to actually controlling everything. Even if he controls everything, he won't control Mr. Miracle. That's basically how it's written. Uh, that he doesn't care about him may be disingenuous. It's just, you know, <laughs> it just doesn't fit his plans at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So what else do you think of the issue? One, one last bit, I guess, is uh, at the end. Uh, <laughs> just, just for the, the douche bros out there. <laughs> The, the 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 Beatles and the Boosters and the Shags and the Luke Dobbs. Um, <laughs> the way that the the girls talk about going to take a hot bath really does make it seem like they're going to be taking that bath together. Right. Yeah. And, so, and of course, they're you know that one's for you. Well, well, thank you. I I guess I'm officially part of the douchey bro club with Booster and Beetle. It was not my intention, uh, but somehow I've, I've ended up there. And that panel too does have them walking towards you, and uh, it's just cleavage everywhere in that panel. I mean, you know, and that's what we're talking about. Let's talk about Templeton's art for a second here. There is a lot of cheesecake in this thing. You know, it really is. Fire, uh, of course, she is supposed to be sexy. I mean, that is part of her drive. But Templeton is really drawing her. Her boobs are pouring out of her costume here. There are more butt shots of her again. Just just like last issue, and with her cheeks even kind of hanging out of the leotard. And, and actually, if you really look at this issue, you step back from that, once you stop noticing that, there's actually a lot of butt shots of everybody in this issue. The whole team's on page one is all butt shots. Later on, as you go through the issue, there's butt shots of Barda. There's multiple parademon mm-hmm. butt shots. Oberon gets a butt shot. Loba has butt shots. Captain Adam has Booster. butt shots. Elrond even has a butt shot. I mean, it's everyone. So I think he tried to be a little fair, you know, rather than just focusing in on her. They try to spread it around, but either way. Is it him or is it the breakdowns because i mean mm. if you're just following the breakdowns giffen's camera get, tends to be a bit low yeah that's true that may that may be it as well so, i mean it's a team effort <laughs> now let's talk about the nice stuff here now man i talked about this last episode ty templeton is a really logical successor for kevin mcguire because he is great with facial expressions man yes on, on page eight there's a really nice close-up of barda's face you know te- we talked about last issue how templeton seems to have a bit of a love affair with barda we think he's a bit in love with her and rightfully so so barda's got some great shots there. On page 14, the bottom right, Lobo's facial expression. Wow. I mean, because, you know, Lobo's still sort of in a proto-developing phase right now. He's not the Lobo we'll eventually see through the 90s. But this bottom right-hand panel on page 14 is just great. He looks terrifying. That looks like a Lobo I recognize right there. Looks great. And page 17, there's some really great shots of Beetle and Booster. So, yeah, see, Templeton has done a fantastic job making these characters look unique and and look awesome. I really love it. Now, here's a nod to Giffen on page 10. I love the layout of this page on page 10. The, at least the top half of the page. There's a pa- there's a really tight close-in panel of Beetle fighting some parademons. On the right-hand side, it's Hawkman fighting some parademons. And I mean, the camera is right up in their face. I mean, they are really, really big in these panels. And there's a little inset panel of Batman screaming, trying to get their attention, and he can't do it. But I just really like, I think it plays well. Uh, I really like the way those those panels all sit together. Uh, it's really, really nice. The panel of Darkseid in the easy chair, is it, it's a kapow moment. It's a full-page splash. I mean, what a strange splash page, right? A guy sitting in an easy chair. That's the kabam moment of the issue. <laughs> but it works. I mean, Darkseid looks great. He looks fantastic. Yeah, can I say, the, the, the joke on the cover is repeated later uh, when they all get back home. Yes. And, uh, and here, uh, Ty Templeton is being fair, let's say, because if fire is upside down in the, on the cover, uh, in that panel, uh, it's Rocket Red sticking his, his legs right out. 
Absolutely. And that works just as well. And you see Barda's in the front. So rather than it was Beetle mm-hmm. and Booster in the front, now it's Barda in the front. You can see her face clearly, uh, and she's kind of pulling out of the pile. And, and as you said, the legs are perfect. So yeah, so that is a little more playing fair, uh, if you will. What else? Uh, last thing on art that I have here is just really clever moment here. I've always thought that Big Barda's helmet is ridiculous. And I never really noticed it until I, ha- I have an action figure of uh, Mr. Miracle, one of, B- of Barda, and it came with a little Oberon. And the helmet that you can pull off of Barda is ridiculous. It's insanely huge. And that's when I first realized her helmet is sort of ridiculous. It's also ridiculously cool looking. I love it, but it's silly. So in this one, Lobo actually grabs her helmet and pulls it down over her eyes on page 14. I was like, there you go. That's very clever. You know, she's, she's, she likes to get in there close fight. Well, that was very smart on his part. All right. Now I want to talk about some of the writing. This book is freaking hilarious. I mean, I laughed so much in this issue. I, I decided, you know, because I, I was laughing so much at the jokes, I decided to count them up. So I, I, I only did the first four pages. Like, uh, the first four pages are all the fights uh, with the JLI versus the Parademons. There are 14 funny bits or jokes or whatever you want to call them in just the first four pages. It's fantastic. I love it. That's a good count. <laughs> uh, and Beatles humor is really, really strong, really on point in this one. Uh, they've really kind of refined Beatles sarcasm and wit in, in just hit the, the beats and the timing. It's just perfect. It cracked me up. It was really awesome. Now, uh, it, uh, in Hawkman, last issue, we talked a lot about Hawkman's frustration with people cursing. You know, in this issue, it continues. You get Guy Gardner cursing by saying the words hell and damn. I mean, they're like they're like little kid curse words. But Hawkman's all bent out of shape over it still, which is hilarious. Now, the team at this point is freaking huge. I mean, it is huge. I, I did a count. There are, now, this is if you count Maxwell Lord as well. There's, in Lobo, there's six people on the team at this point. That's insane. Now, that'll work in their favor when we get to Justice League Europe and they can split the team up, but I mean, most of these people don't go over to Justice League Europe. Only two of yeah, them do. Yeah. So, and with, with that many characters, it's hard to juggle them all. But they did a pretty decent job. The real stars of this issue are uh, Big Barda, Blue Beetle, Booster Gold, Batman, Oberon, and Lobo. Now, uh, some of the members do get one or two good moments. They, they don't get to be center stage, though, such as Fire and Ice both get a couple of moments. Hawkman gets a moment or two. Rocket Red gets a moment or two. But there is, like, nothing. There is no usage whatsoever. Marsh Manhunter, uh, Hawkwoman, she gets shortchanged big time, uh, Nort, and, and Mr. Miracle. Now, Mr. Miracle, he's, he's pretty much just a MacGuffin in this thing. So he's important to the issue, but he's really unconscious the whole time. In fact, Marsh mm-hmm. Manhunter and Nort are unconscious, too. So Hawkman, Hawkwoman really is the big loser because she was conscious during this but never really got a moment to shine in the issue, which is a little disappointing because she's not going to be around very long, and she is absolutely fantastic in this book. So uh, hopefully we'll see more of her next issue, I hope. Uh, yeah, you do. I I'll oh, confirm. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Will. Good. I, I did read ahead, but I'm, I'm try, I try not to think about them too much ahead mm-hmm, of time. I try mm-hmm. to focus, live in the moment, if you will. So uh, all in all, fantastic issue. I absolutely love this one. The way that they were able to, as you said, gave us a lot more action and at the same time ramped up the humor to just a crazy level. Again, like I said, 14 jokes just in the first four pages. That's nuts. And, it, and that pace continues through the comic. Really just an exceptional issue. And folks, if you haven't read it, you need to, whether you get the single issue or the trade collections or digital, whatever, get out there and read this issue. It is an absolute hoot. I know we spoiled some of it for you, but uh, it's, it's well worth your time. So why don't we take a second to talk about some of the house ads here. There is this bonkers ad, which I have always found hilarious. I'd love to hear Michael Bailey's pull, uh, take on this, too. It's the Call the Superman Action Line. So it's not really true. It's not truly a house ad. It's not DC didn't put this in here. Uh, it's some other company here. And the gist is it's a phone number. You can
can call a 1-900 number to call the Superman action line. And you know, will Superman finally conquer evil or will the villains triumph? You can call Superman and his friends for stories never heard in this universe. Call the Superman action line. And it gives up uh, there. What is it? It's, each call is $2 for the first minute, 45 cents for each additional minute. Oh, my God. Could you imagine? To hear a whole Superman story is probably, what, 15, 20 minutes? I don't know. Whatever. The parents must have gone through the roof when they got their phone bill. It's crazy. You need your permission. You need the permission, it says. Oh, I'm sure they checked that, too, right? Uh, just, just like online, you check the box that says you're 18. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. and, and the whole reason this is in here is because the same month as this comic's on the shelves, the Ruby Spears animated Superman cartoon had started. So really, there's, they, you know, that's who they're trying to catch the attention of, is the kids watching the cartoon. What I want to know from you people in the audience, and I know the download numbers. I know how many people there are that listen to the show. It's a freaking huge amount of people. I want to know if any of you nerds ever called this action line as a kid. Please, in the comments, go to firewaterpodcast.com slash JLI. Leave us some comments. Let us know if you ever let, uh, called this number. I am dying to know that someone did. I think it would be hilarious. And, uh, and if you did, I want to know how much your parents' phone bill was. <laughs> and all the art here has, has Darkseid, actually. So Darkseid's yep. in here, and the uh, Superpowers uh, Parademon yep. <laughs> is, is in there as well. And two little kids on the phone. <laughs> Uh, yeah, of course. Awesome. Young Rob Kelly and young uh, Shag. That's it. That's right. It's us on the phone. Perfect. <laughs> also in here is a really cool, edgy ad for Black Orchid Oof. by Neil Gaiman and Dave McKean. This, it doesn't say suggest for mature readers, but I'm assuming it was. You know, it says some people have secret identities, some just have secrets. Black Orchid, a three-issue series in DC's prestige format beginning in November. And if you know anything about Dave McKean, and if you don't, shame on you, uh, it is a really, really cool movie. Moving piece, and um, you know what? Does that say Sinkevich underneath um, on, underneath her? There's a there's a uh, signature, and that does not say Dave McKean. You're right. It's uh, hmm. I don't. I can't tell. Well, well, folks. You know what? Someone, if you if you know, leave us a message in the comments about who drew this. Hmm. Looks a little bit like Sinkevich. I don't know, but I'm shocked because it's a Dave McKean miniseries. I'm perplexed. I'm not going to do the research right now because we're on we're on the phone and doing this, so we're just going to move on. But wow, it's a it's a cool, powerful ad. Uh, you know, I'll put it in the image gallery so you guys can see it, and maybe you guys can identify who did the ad. Then there is a half-page ad for The Prisoner, you know, based on the old British TV show, and it's a it was a four-issue miniseries that came out in DC at the time, featuring you know the, basically the next adventures. If I, I don't, did you did you read this? Were you a prisoner guy? Uh, I am a prisoner guy, and I uh, finally got the whole series, the, the four books, uh, but I have not read them. Okay, <laughs> so but I do have them in uh, on my shelf, gotcha. waiting to be read. Uh, but I, I was a big fan of the uh, of the show itself, and it does indicate here it is a, a new story with number six. So. Yeah. Yeah, so there we go. All right, and then really all I'm doing is I'm killing time here, making Ciscoid wait, sweat it out, till we get to the big important house ad, the last house ad we're going to discuss. It is for The Invasion. Why don't you describe the ad of the folks at home? Uh, well, it's, uh, it, you know, it looks like the banner for my uh, for the show. <laughs> You've got a dominator. It's basically a riff on the uh, Yellow Peril type stories, uh, like a poster with a dominator, its its hand going to, you know, hovering over a city on fire as people run out. There's like, there's a riot, there's almost people try to evacuate the city. Uh, in the background, you've got some kun chips, the U-shapes, that those are kun chips. Uh, and of course it says, they came from outer space to destroy Earth's superheroes. Invasion! And then we've got all the titles for the three issues, the Alien Alliance, Battleground Earth, World Without Heroes. 
Heroes, which we've all covered. Uh, see the destructive might of the alien alliance. Witness Earth's courageous struggle for freedom. Behold the hero's desperate battle for survival. 80 thrill pack pages per issue. And of course, it's by it's a Giffen, Mantlo, McFarlane, Sears, Gordon, Rubenstein, Russell production. Uh, <laughs> and it begins it begins in October. So this was like late October and then um, on through Christmas was when the series actually uh, ran. And it's designed to look like a movie poster, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you yeah. know, because the way it's framed, the bottom where you you read out all those names, it's written just like it, they do at the bottom of movie posters with that logo and stuff like that. Now, here's an interesting story. I don't think I've ever told you this. I, I saw this ad. I don't remember what comic book I saw it in. And I saw it, and I am not kidding, not exaggerating, not embellishing. I thought it was a joke. I, I thought this was – because it, it looks like, again, like a movie poster. And it looked – if as much as – it's hard to separate ourselves knowing what Invasion is now versus not knowing what it was at that point. I, I didn't hear anything about it coming. I had no idea what this thing was. I honestly thought this was a, some sort of like April Fool's Day joke because it looks so ridiculous. It looks so unbelievable. A giant alien hand reaching over a cityscape you know what so i i didn't even know what invasion was i thought it was a gag until i saw number one on the shelves i'm like oh that wasn't a joke they're really doing this thing well i I didn't have that problem (laughs) (laughs) i took it at face value you know sometimes you do uh, an ad that looks like a movie poster or some other thing (laughs) i I wasn't taken in uh yeah i mean this is we we discussed this poster in our very first episode uh of invasion and uh, there have been other riffs on it as well over the over the years but it is itself yes a movie poster but also it looks like the yellow peril stuff yeah. from the 40s oh, yeah. know? especially since the dominator is uh, has a green very often the uh, the uh, threats from China and Japan were dressed in green and had some you know unfortunately very yellow skin so that you have that in the dominator here and even the spot on its head kind of suggests the rising sun of uh, Japan's flag you know well, and the teeth too I mean if you look back at that World yeah, War II propaganda yeah. stuff. I mean, I have uh, I have some interesting books on World War II propaganda. Just from a marketing perspective, I find it fascinating. Uh, it, it all matches right. The yellow skin, the red dot, the teeth, all of it. It's it, teeth, the, and the I, claws. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I have a great trading card set of this. So I wouldn't be surprised if I could go through there and find a very similar pose. Yeah. Of them reaching over the world and capturing it. Yeah. So, but obviously a great series and it makes for, I guess, an okay podcast, whatever. So. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> It works. I suppose. Only for a little bit longer, though. Uh, three episodes to go, by the way. Uh, yeah. Woof. Uh, all right. We'll, we'll be done before the end of the year. And, and on to the next project. All right. Well, speaking of the next project, let's move on to our next segment, folks. A segment I like to call... Character Spotlight. And this is where the guest uh, is asked to share some of their thoughts on one of the characters from the issue. And I'm not really necessarily looking for an origin recap, but more like where the characters were in the DC universe before they interacted with the JLI and what kind of impact the JLI may have had on their on their you know their, their career or whatever. And this time I've asked us going to cover Darkseid. Hmm. Well, the interesting thing uh, having Darkseid show uh, show up in JLI is that he was responsible for its birth. Hmm. Right? Yeah, it's true. JLI. Yeah, JLI came out of Legends via the decimation of the old Justice League of America, and that was his scheme. It wasn't his first altercation with some version of the JLA. There is Crisis on the Fourth World. That's not actually the name of it, but there is that storyline in JLA 183 through 185. So Uh, good. Yeah, but that's before Legends. And Darkseid was, uh, you know, mostly marginalized. Uh, If it wasn't a New God story, he likely wasn't in it. Yeah. The, uh, The exception being that story and the great 
Great Darkness saga, but then the Legion are also in their own little pocket of continuity, so it's still it's still on the margins of the DCU. And where that changed, and Darkseid started acting as the DCU's biggest bad, isn't actually Legends, but uh, really it's the Superpowers line of action figures. It's the tie-in comics for that. It's the tie-in uh, Super Friends cartoon, the legendary Superpowers uh, in the mid-80s. That's, that's where I discovered Darkseid. It's why his massive action figure uh, was the first I bought in the line. That's, really? Yeah, yeah. I was a late comer to it, so I missed like wave one. He's got two powers, really. Okay. Uh, he's got a he's got a big cape you can remove, but he's got two powers. One is if you flash a light on top of his head, the, his eyes turn red, so you can do the omega beams. And uh, the other power is that when you squeeze his legs, he smashes the desk. I guess. <laughs> he smashes whatever's under him. Both arms go up and down. Power yeah. action. Yeah. So he's just like slamming his fists on the desk, or obviously on a superhero's back or whatever. Uh, and I I did that so much. One of his arms came off. <laughs> so I still have him, I still have him, but he's he, you know he's got he's got one arm to the side. Okay. I've lost the arm. I've lost the arm, which is a mercy. But, uh, yeah, some of these action figures were a little uh, brittle, I guess, uh, or I played with them much too. Much. I think you played them too hard because I've still got several of my original uh, superpowers figures. Oh, actually, I shouldn't say it that way. I have several superpowers figures I bought later in life. Uh, that the only one I had originally was um, Doctor Fate and Firestorm. Those are the only ones I had originally. But all of them still have their parts. Thank you very much, Siskoid. So uh, yeah. I think maybe uh, I had, a little too hard. I had to glue back uh, Brainiac. And, uh, oh, my gosh. I, I play hard. I play hard. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but that you know that voice in the cartoon, right? Just that voice alone. What voice are you talking about? That voice. And, I mean, it, it, that haunted my dreams. You know, Darkseid was so cool. <laughs> Frank, so cool. Thank you, Frank Welker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would later make for a great arc in the DC Animated Universe as well. Uh, you know, moving from Superman to Justice League Unlimited, uh, you every time you got Darkseid, it got like more and more dire. Until Superman's shooting his, his uh, heat vision through his foot. And, I mean, that's some great, great stuff. Uh, and in the comics, he'd meet other versions of the League, including uh, the one I pushed at the top of the show, you know, uh, the Rock of Ages. Mm-hmm. Sadly, uh, he's become overused, I, I must say. And, the, you know, the law of diminishing returns sort of deflated future appearances. I think by Countdown uh, slash Death of the New Gods, it's like Darkseid dies twice or something, uh, his reign was sort of over. Yeah, we, we, uh, we don't need to speak of Death of the New Gods. Exactly. And no one at DC realized it, I guess, because he keep he kept showing up again and again. New 52, you've got, you know, the Justice League. He's the first big bad in the Justice League. Uh, they sort of, I guess they forgot that he worked best as a master manipulator uh, by sending him to Earth and just being like a physical threat. I think the movie franchise seems to want to do the same, you know, whatever. To me, the real dark side is this one. The one, the one in, even in JLI, even though it's supposed to be a joke. Uh, it's played for laughs, but dark side showing up in your living room. Uh, to tell you what's what, uh, who makes you feel like you're nothing by letting you go, like fish fry, you know. Uh, this, this is a two, this is just a minnow. Let's throw it back in the in the in the lake. The dark side, who's got bigger plans than you might realize. That's the one you have to fear, not the giant bruiser who can fight the league to a standstill in a championship bout. You know, the mind behind this man or, or this god, I guess. Uh, that's that's the dark side, and I think that's the dark side that works best in past JLA stories uh, that were worked well, or any DC stories that work well, whether that's Super Friends, whether that's this very issue. Yeah, I mean, the plotting version of Darkseid is always the scarier one. I mean, in fact, there were some old stories where, like, 
he would go in to see Desaad, and Desaad would be torturing someone, and Darkseid would be like, I don't want to see this. And he'd leave, because it just it was disgusting to him. He knew the work mm-hmm. needed to be done, the torturing, but he just didn't want any part of it. He was sophisticated. He he wanted to manipulate things from behind the scenes rather than get his hands dirty. And yeah, yeah he wanted to play chess with the Phantom Stranger. Yeah, there you go. Not yeah. not watch people getting tortured. And I, Desaad disgusted him. That, that, that seemed to be his main man, like his sidekick. But really, it, he was as disgusting to Darkseid as he was to the readers. Yeah, I, I wonder which one got dis, uh, hit by the Omega effect and disintegrated more, uh, Desaad or Granny <laughs> Goodness. I mean, between the two of them, they're both, both getting destroyed all the time. Oh, Calabac <laughs> is in the, the void a lot, a lot of the time Yeah, that's well. true, too. That's true, <laughs> the too. The disappointing son, yeah. And, and as a parent of two kids, I understand that a little bit better now. So, anyway. <laughs> well, thank you for that recap of Darkseid and sort of putting him in perspective of where he was at this point with the JLI. So, that's awesome. Very cool. Thank you. Now, folks, it is the moment you've all been waiting for. We are going to tackle... Wahaha Award. This is where we nominate the funniest moment of the issue. Both myself and Siskoid are going to pick a moment, and only one of them are going to be awarded the coveted Bwahaha Award. Now, Siskoid, you are the guest, so you get to go first. What would you say is your Bwahaha moment? Well, to me, and I guess that's very personal, it's the very end where no one wants to hear about the invasion. Now, if that's not the invasion, if you're right, <laughs> you know, that's not Captain Adam's deal there, uh, then I'll go, I can go with my runner-up, which is Batman's reaction to Rocket Red's integration into American society. Okay. Uh, just the, the, the face on Batman at that point where he goes, let's read the actual line. So yeah, Rocket Red goes, later, Batman, baby, I'm having to split now. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then Batman's just kind of uh, wistful and says, it's appalling how well he's adapted to life in the United States. <laughs> so It's almost like a fourth fourth wall moment where it's like he looks at – you think Batman's yeah. actually looking at the camera, almost. Yeah, almost. Uh, and, and whenever Batman gets a joke, you know, Batman's not the jokiest. But when he gets a joke – and here it's a joke only to himself. You know, right. being, you know, he's talking to no one. I think it's it's worth noting. So either of those goes for me. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of cheap. But by, by by naming two, but no, 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 it's fine. Well, I mean, I, I get what you're going for. Uh, in either way, you're wrong. Either way, I mean, they're both hilarious oh. moments. They're great. They really, really are. But dude, come on. The ha moment of the issue is when Oberon comes out of the sewer and there's Dark Side in the easy chair. I mean, it's half terrifying, but half hilarious. It's just like, well, what? What am I reading? Dark Side sitting in an easy chair and invites Oberon for a meal and a change of clothes. That's insane. So it's got to be that. I mean. Come on! Well, I did name it as one of my favorite moments in the issue. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we didn't really, you know, act out the scene, but Oberon is speechless. He's making these weird sounds, and Darkseid is commenting on them. Yep. Uh, you know, why Oberon? Is that a suitable greeting for one of our oldest, of your oldest and dearest friends? I think I preferred ee-ee-ee-ee-ee, you know. Darkseid, ah, now we're getting somewhere. So, and I didn't do the voices, but yeah, okay. I, um, you know, if we have to vote on it, I, I enjoy that moment as well. I, I thought, I thought of it less as a joke as more as the the kapow moment. Yeah. So uh, maybe that's why I dismissed it. Well, I, I'm sticking with mine. As much as I love the moments you mentioned, I'm not willing to swing my vote. So are you telling me you're swinging your vote, or we're going to have a deadlock? I, I... No, 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 I'm swinging my vote. Okay. Well, congratulations, Darkseid. You have won the blah-ha-ha mode of the, of the issue. The award is as tangible as the laughter we give you. So 
So wear that with pride, sir, as you uh, lord over the hunger dogs of Apocalypse. <laughs> All right. Well, um, so, Cisco, we've talked about this a little bit already. I mean, you just talked about in fact, mentioned it during the Bwahaha Award. It sounds like you and Boss may have or may not have missed some of the uh, Invasion Prologue issues. Uh, mm-hmm. Sloppy work, my friend. I'm just saying, yes. here at the Firewater Podcast, we have very high standards. You can tell. Everybody is held. Well, Ryan, we don't hold Ryan to a standard, but that's just a – every village has got to have an idiot, right? Anyway, we yeah. have very high standards here at the Firewater Podcast, and I expect you now to go back and research every DC comic that came out in the fall of 1988. I expect better of you, especially with you, your own personal like OCD completist complex. I, I really didn't think this would happen. I, I guess there's another uh, issue of New Guardians i got to read. <laughs> Pray for me. Pray for me. (laughs) All right. Well, I will be waiting right here for you, Siskoid, when you get back. And folks, while he's getting that squared away, I'm going to go ahead and read your listener feedback in a segment called... Justice Log. Folks, first up, we're going to award a Double Stuff Award. Now, we don't do this too often, so this is kind of a big deal. These are given out to someone who has gone above and beyond for the JLI podcast or to promote the JLI in some way. Well, our good buddy Michael Bailey, past guest of this show, recently attended a comic book convention where Ty Templeton was a guest. On behalf of the JLI podcast, Mike asked Mr. Templeton if he redesigned the rocket red armor for Apocalypse or did that design come from someone else? Well, Mr. Templeton was happy to confirm that he did, in fact, redesign the Rocket Red Armor, and he also redesigned Nort. Awesome. Our thanks to Michael Bailey for asking that question. Enjoy your Double Stuff Award, Mike. And for you folks at home who don't get the whole Double Stuff reverence, jeez, read some comics, people. All right, next item. Uh, Last episode, our guest was the dastardly creative Luke Dobb. As discussed on the show, Luke is really a fantastic artist, and you can buy some of his works online. Well, by the time you hear this episode, I will be the proud owner of a brand new Blue Beetle cell phone case. Woof! Luke did this awesome action shot of Blue Beetle, and this looks fantastic on a phone case. I cannot wait. I'm so very happy. All right, I got a few JLI-related podcasts I'd like to plug. First, did you listen to the Fire and Water Podcast Summer Sampler for the exclusive JLI Blah Ha Ha podcast mini-episode? Hmm, did you? All right, well, it was about 20 minutes long, uh, and it was a, an official JLI episode with me and Chris Franklin, where we talked about the 1987 Mr. Miracle special. Such a fun comic. Uh, now, it wasn't part of the JLI feed. You can only find it on the FW Presents podcast feed as part of the Fire and Water Podcast Summer Sampler. Now, fair warning, the whole podcast in its entirety is four hours long. There's a lot of great content in there. really gives you a sample of what the Firewater Podcast Network's all about. And again, you can just look in the timestamps and the notes, and you'll find where that 20-minute JLI episode is. Now, second, on the most recent Who's Who podcast, my podcasting life partner Rob Kelly and I covered Who's Who in the DC Universe Loose Leaf Edition number four. And this issue featured a couple of JLI favorites, including Blue Beetle Pie, Ty Templeton, and Rocket Red by Bart Sears. Both are gorgeous entries, so check out that podcast and check out those Who's Who entries. Third, our guest today, Siskoid, along with his buddy Boss, recently covered Justice League International number 24 on their First Strike Invasion podcast. Did a very nice job covering that issue. Awesome job, guys. 
Finally, Siskoid and I mentioned on this episode on the Hero Points podcast. Well, it's worth reminding you that he and I did an episode back in January 2017 covering the Justice League sourcebook for the Mayfair Games DC Heroes role-playing game. And uh, it's a fun chat, and it does contain some JLI discussions. Might be worth checking out. All right. Now, remember, we want you to be part of this show. Get out on the social medias. Use our hashtag, PoundFWPodcast, or you can tag us at JLI Podcast. As I always say, it's about building a community of online JLI fans around this show. You guys have been wonderful, and as you're about to hear in the feedback. So please keep it coming. And just a heads up, on uh, both Facebook and Twitter, I've been posting some thoughts and pics recently about JLI members. And if you're paying close attention, those posts might just give you some hints about some special upcoming episodes I'm planning where I'm going to spotlight other comics connected with the JLI. Hmm. Now, remember, when you're posting your comments, if you're outside the United States, please let us know. We will assign you the proper embassy. It's always good to know, too, because if you're international, we have to filter iTunes properly just to see your reviews. And, of course, that is a convenient segue into discussing iTunes reviews. As always, folks, please, please go out there and give us iTunes reviews. We've got over 40 now, uh, but we could certainly use a lot more. There are a lot more of you folks listening, and it would just really help push the profile of the show up a little bit further uh, if you'd leave a review, and it will help more people find the show. And as a thank you, we'll read your entire review on the air. This one comes from Mike Z 33 and he wrote, Waha, yeah! (laughs) He says, extremely entertaining and informative from one of my favorite books from my youth. I recall hitting the local Rite Aid spinner rack to find this every month after I stumbled onto the first issue in the late 1980s. Now I'll follow along with my newly purchased Omnibus. Ah, well, thank you, Mike. We really appreciate that. And for those of you who have not yet submitted an iTunes review, well, I'll give you a chance. But if you don't, I hope that Darkseid pays you a visit in your living room. Now, now to our feedback from the episode covering Justice League International number 20 with our guest Luke Dobb. Now, I'm going to be pulling your comments from our website, email, social media, all kinds of places, just pulling bits and pieces because you guys leave a tremendous amount of feedback, which is awesome. But if I tried to read all of it on the air right now, we'd be here all night, and poor Tim Price wouldn't get his much-needed beauty sleep. All right, first comment comes from Michelle Fifay. Michelle, if you don't remember, is a comic book writer and an artist. He self-publishes his own series, Copra, and recently he's been writing and drawing the Image Bloodstrike comic, and uh, he's a past guest of this show. Michelle writes in about Ty Templin, and he says, Ty, the guy inking himself, is the gold standard. Though this issue's creative team was firing on all cylinders, and Bob LePan's lettering especially can never receive too much praise. He is one of the best. Ty was definitely the best, most logical successor to Kevin McGuire at the time. Then he says, uh, thanks for the Captain Adam annual recommendation. I never warmed up to that series, even after trying the few scattered JLI cameos, but this flew under my radar. So then uh, after posting that, Michelle actually picked up the Captain Adam annual. Then he posted over on his Facebook group about the Captain Adam annual. He says, as a JLI fanatic, this was a must. This story's brainwashing theme works, but a year later, the Giffen crew took it to the next level. Oof. Yeah, you're going to see that in a few months, folks. Then we heard from our buddy Mark Baker Wright from Black Rock's Toy Box. He says, great episode as usual, guys. To the question about whether or not Hawkwoman's behind was an over-sexualized drawing, let me start by saying that this question hadn't even occurred to me before you guys brought it up. So I'm not trying to claim any moral high ground here, and certainly not to condemn Templeton. But while you guys are talking about Hawkwoman's pose, her posture, her proportions, etc., I'm asking myself the whole time, did that drawing have to be done from behind Hawkwoman in the first place? Why couldn't it have been composed that the guys were in the foreground, with the women in the background looking on, but such that we still see everyone's face? 
I offer no conclusions, just another aspect to think about. All right, well, thank you, Mark. Now, Mark's the first one to kick this off, but boy, there are a lot of discussions that sparked out of uh, Luke and I's observation about that panel with Fire and Hawkwoman's Bottoms, where the girls are talking, but you don't see their faces. Uh, someone who just goes by the name Jack chimed in. Uh, he might be out looking for Jill right now. But Jack says, in my opinion, the Fire and Hawk Girl panel was not over the top. I would not have even noticed it if it was not brought up on the show. All right, fair enough. Thank you, Jack. Then we heard from my buddy Rob Kelly, my hetero podcasting life mate, who's part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. He does many, many shows, including the MASH cast and the Treasury cast. Now, when we did last episode, we pointed out that the name of the comic was, If It's Tuesday, It Must Be Apocalypse. And we said we thought that was from a movie. Sure enough, Rob, being our movie expert, who also does the Film and Water Podcast, he says, If It's Tuesday, This Must Be Belgium, which was from 1969. And the film is uh, a humorous adventure of a group of American tourists taking an 18-day guided bus tour of nine European countries. So, there you go. That's where the title came from. Alright, then Rob goes on to say, you guys admitted you know how I killed Robin with but a phone call, and yet you were pretty flip about me. Is that really the wisest choice? (laughs) I think Rob just threatened my life. Uh, He goes on to say, and no, I did not get my 50 cents back from DC when Jason Todd was returned to life. He says, I love Ty Templeton's work. With that said, I'm not sure he was a good fit for Justice League. As I've said before, I enjoyed the book's lighter tone from the outset, but as I continued to read it, I still wanted it to be the Justice League and everything that August's name represents. When the book became more of a comedy, it stopped being the thing I wanted it to be. That doesn't make it bad or wrong, of course, just not exactly what I was hoping for, especially since the first ten or so issues of the title were so great. Well, Rob left that comment, uh, and then he comes back and saying, P.S., looking back over the pages in the gallery post makes me rethink what I wrote about Templeton's work being suited for the Justice League title. It really is superb work, and now I could better appreciate how he was able to modulate his style depending on the strip. Surely, Master Inker Joseph Rubenstein had something to do with that, and this is really top-notch stuff. Woof! Thank you, Rob. You really redeemed yourself there. I was afraid I was going to have to get on your case about your, uh, your proper respect for Mr. Templeton. Then we heard from my buddy Jose Rivera. He says, first, let me say I can't get enough of Luke saying, Vermin wunderbar. <laughs> Every time Luke said that, I cracked up. As for the new Rocket Red armor, I gotta say, I like it. This look was my first introduction to the character when I started picking up back issues and saw his first suit. I liked it, but I've got an affinity for this suit. I always thought it would translate better to animation, so you can imagine my joy when I saw it pop up in a few episodes of the Justice League Unlimited cartoon. Also, I'm a huge Ty Templeton fan. There was this show in the 1990s called The Anti-Gravity Room that focused on comics. They went to the DC Comics offices to show just how comic books were made. I remember this because Ty Templeton took us through many segments, and in each segment he played a different version of himself. For example, for writing, he was Ty Templeton. But when they got to inking, he'd cut to Cy Templeton, and lettering would cut to Guy Templeton, and all with these cheesy disguises. This cracked me up as a kid and is why I've always associated Mr. Templeton with comedy. He seems like a great guy with a good sense of humor. And then Jose was kind of to share a link with me over on YouTube. You can find the Anti-Gravity Room episode. Uh, it starts with talking to Rob Liefeld and then transitions into Ty Templeton. I watched it. It was wonderful. Thank you so much, Jose, for sharing that with me. Then we heard from my buddy Chris Franklin from the Firewater Podcast Network. He hosts several shows, including the JLU cast with his wife and Superman Movie Minute with Rob Kelly. Chris says, I love Ty Templeton stuff as well, and I was very happy to meet him and talk with him at Heroes Con. I thought the JLI was in good hands with him, and I followed him since onto the DC Animated Universe titles and his Batman 66 work. I'm still not a big manga con guy, but at least the art's in good hands. Plus, anytime you get the Justice League against Darkseid's forces, it cues up my old superpowers love. 
Then Chris chimes in on the Hawkwoman fire controversy. He says, I just took a look at the infamous Talking Butts panel. Hawkgirl is completely tasteful, in my opinion. Fire, well, her cheeks are hanging out, given that that's the design of the costume, but it had to be a conscious decision to show that. McGuire showed more of her in the Bruce Wayne as Bond storyline, so we really can't fault Templeton too much. It doesn't bother me, but I'm sure it may raise a stink nowadays if it was published as is. That's a fair point, Chris. Then we hear from my little buddy, David Ace Gutierrez. He's the executive producer of Pod Dylan and the owner and operator of the Katana Banana. David says, I get it, Luke Dobb. You can do anything. Congratulations on winning the genetic lottery. <laughs> Thanks, David. Then we heard from my good buddy Tim Price, and if you recall, Tim and I have this give-and-take relationship. I do episodes of JLI, and he writes big, long dissertations on his thoughts on the show, which I then read to my daughter to help her sleep at night. And thank you, Tim. You did not fail me this time. Uh, in fact, it's, your comments have carried me through a whole week in a vacation, so it's been great. Uh, my daughter really appreciates it. Tim says, Ty Templeton. When I first saw his style in the JLI, it felt a touch more cartoony than McGuire's, so I wasn't sold immediately. But by issue 24, those thoughts were long gone. Ty the guy brings his own energy and sense of humor to the series and made himself a favorite of mine. And then there's issue 26. Ah, no spoilers. Complete polar opposite of tone and fantastic. Then Tim goes on to say, yes, I noticed the talking butts. Yes, I wouldn't have mentioned it though, Shag, but they're right up in your face. Why do I feel apologetic? My take is since both Fire and Hawkwoman's costumes are riding up pretty hard, it's not a completely innocent rear camera shot, just in my humble opinion. However, since Giffen did layouts for his plotting, I wonder if Keith proposed this panel's angle and Ty just went with it. Then Tim has a gripe, specifically about the coloring of Big Barda. He says, why are her top, gloves, and boots the colored blue? No, they're supposed to be yellow. Good observation. You know, I felt like something was off, but I couldn't put my finger on it. Thank you. Then he says, The scenes with Barda and Jean are my wahaha moments. They're all funny and believable and earnest. JMD Mateus was spot on for their dialogue. And then he brings up a kind of an interesting point I hadn't thought about. He goes, Okay, trying to walk through this. Guy is uber right wing, and Hawkman is quote unquote Republican, at least according to the comic. Why is this ignored? Where are the scenes where Guy obnoxiously interacts with Hawkman like, finally, someone on this team who's not a weak-kneed liberal, just to have Hawkman be Hawkman? I just feel like there was a missed opportunity here. You know what, Tim? You're absolutely right. That would have made for some great interaction and pretty funny. Then we heard from my buddy Adam Ackerman from our Denmark embassy, who was uh, recently visiting the United States. And Adam chimes in on the whole uh, controversy with the Fire and Hawkwoman talking butts panel. And he says that, uh, you know, the panel really did have a kilter feel to it. And he, he lists out many reasons. I'm just going to cherry pick some of the items here. He says, first, uh, the clothing option they gave Fire. Good point. He says, Fire sticks out here because of how little clothing she has. However, if you look at Big Barda, Granny Goodness, Hawkwoman, they're all wearing clothes that actually cover up a lot, like the male's clothes do. Because second is the angle is from behind. And he says, uh, there are not any other panels like this with the male characters. The closest one is two panels away with Blue Beetle and Hawkman talking, but Hawkman is walking towards the audience and Blue Beetle has his head turned away. <laughs> then Adam goes on to, <laughs> he writes another haiku. I love these. He goes, uh, let's see, who will have Scott free? Back in my day, the JLI, Lord Manga Khan, Pock. <laughs> Thank you. I love those. Thank you very much, Adam. Then we heard from our buddy Max Traver. He says, Shag and Luke, the beetle and booster of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Oh, man. I think I'm going to have to wear that like a badge of shame. Uh, he goes on to say, as for the Hawkgirl's button friends panel, maybe she just turned away from the camera because she couldn't stand to look readers in the eye for too long with all of that messed up continuity just barely being held back behind the walls of her skull. Maybe, just maybe, with the eyes being the windows to the soul. If she faced us for too long, those windows 
would be flung open across all time and space. <laughs> so I think he's suggesting that uh, Hawkwoman's eyes actually created, what, Zero Hour or something like that? Uh, anyways, anyway, yeah, the girls totally could have been drawn standing with their sides to the reader and their heads turned towards the rest of the conversation. Or whatever. <laughs> Thanks, Max. Then we heard from Nicholas Alheim. He says, I finally caught up with the show so I can listen as things are covered and read issue 20 right before tackling it. He goes on to say, I was taken aback just how good Ty Templeton's art was in here. I remember thinking it was pretty solid, but as he was taking over this book, as guys like Jim Lee, Eric Larson, Todd McFarlane, Rob Liefeld were breaking out, my young mind was almost certainly more interested than those, even if I really liked the JLI lineup. Yeah, you make a good point there, Nicholas. I mean, Ty Templeton, who's got this amazing style, was really, as you said, being compared to all of these artists who would go on to form Image. So it had to be a tough market. All right. Then we heard from Ward Hill Terry. He says, I bought this issue probably only because of Ty Templeton. This is about the time when my comics buying habit had been curtailed drastically. But my friends and I were great fans of our guy Ty and especially his book Stig's Inferno. We had this sense of reflected pride when he learned he was going to be working in the big time superhero comics. Yeah, the obscure indie artist we liked gets recognized by wider fandom. He deserved it, too. As shown here, this was the perfect vehicle for him. He goes on to say, from the backstage stories you've shared here, it seems like Giffen and DiMatteis were scrambling to find characters to include in the JLI and meeting resistance from every other office. Hawkman's comments in this issue reflect the image of the once-mighty Justice League now as nothing more than a team of cast-offs and forgotten heroes. Yet even though Giffen, DiMatteis, Templeton, and Lapan, etc. were scavenging for ingredients, they were able to make a wonderful feast. Yeah, you're not kidding, Ward. And, you know, as I pointed out in this episode, I mean, by this point, the team was huge. It's only going to get bigger once they start adding the Just League Europe folks. Then we heard from some guy named Siskoid. Never heard of him. He's from our Canadian embassy. And, of course, he's the guest on this very episode. He says, kind of a good thing that they changed Rocket Red's armor because the USSR didn't last the year. That's a good point, Siskoid. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, the whole Rocket Red thing with the whole USSR theme, USSR wasn't around much longer. So, hmm, interesting. I wonder if Rocket Red changing his armor caused the fall of the Soviet Union. Deep thoughts, folks. All right, then we heard from Jimmy McGlinchey, our buddy in the Irish Embassy. And Jimmy, he's always a very good sport, going along with my ridiculous jokes and, and making up many of his own. He says, Irish Embassy calling. Sorry for the delay, but I had to deal with complaints from Godiva of the Global Guardians for the last few weeks. Apparently, she said that she should be the only person with perfect hair in the JLI world. And the appearance of Luke Dobbs' luxurious locks had her in a tizzy. Ah, the joys of running an embassy. <laughs> Thank you, Jimmy. He says, another great episode, Luke and Shag. This issue was an excellent introduction to Ty Templeton on art, and the storyline progressed very well, bringing in all the other Earth characters to Apocalypse, except for Captain Adam. Maybe they should create a new team or something so that he can get more airtime. Hmm. <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy. Then, Brad Glenn, a new friend of the show, he just started listening to the JLI podcast. In fact, he was leaving comments on Facebook, so I can tell you, he started listening to the show on June 24th. Then he had finished every episode by July 19th. He really powered through these things in less than a month. He, uh, he let us know when he had started, and then at the end, he says, I finally caught up with the podcast. Now I need medical attention. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. Then we heard from another new friend, Mike Zumkowski. He uh, he sent us in a panel for, a, as he calls it, a semi-recent Bwahaha moment. And he found it in the Robin Son of Batman trade paperback volume one. It's a great little bit with Robin and someone else. And they actually Bwahaha. So I was very happy to see that. Thank you, Mike, for sharing it. And Mike writes in to say, by the way, great podcast. Just found it. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate that. Then we heard from Debbie Rangel, who's obviously a woman of high intelligence because her comment was best podcast ever. Thank you, Debbie. Appreciate that. Then we heard from my buddy Rich Matsumoto, loved the Hawkman history you provided. 
Awesome. Glad you liked it, Rich. Then we heard from Patrick J. Zabo. Probably slaughtered your name there. Sorry, Patrick. But uh, another new listener. He says, just started listening to the JLI podcast. Five episodes in and loving it. But all the talk about Maxwell Lord just reminds me that Jeff Johns has a lot to answer for still. You know what, Patrick? You ain't kidding. Now, I'm not sure whether the blame should fall on Jeff or Greg Rucka, but both of them have a lot to answer for with Maxwell Lord. Then we heard from John Aston, another new listener. He says, enjoyed the first podcast. Going to read along with you all, but I got to catch up first. Awesome. Then we heard from Paul Kenzel, and he says, just read it yesterday in preparation to listen. That omnibus really comes in handy, so I don't have to pull out the issue. Very cool. Now, looking at that, folks, there was a whole bunch of new listeners this month. That means your help is working. Get out there on the social media, share the show, leave the iTunes reviews, get the word out there about the JLI Pocket so we can continue to build this community of JLI fans. It's fantastic. Speaking of which, I want to thank all the folks who did share the JLI Podcast uh, last episode on their Facebook and Twitter timelines. Thank you so much. I say it every month, folks. It's true. It's a long list of names. I know it sounds like I'm reading the phone book. However, these folks showed their support and promoted the show. So it's really important to me that we recognize these individuals. I mean, after all, this is probably the only time I'm going to mention Comic Reflection on the show, you know? And this time out, we're looking at over 60 names of folks who helped promote the last episode. So, strap in, folks. Here we go. Our thanks to Too Old, Too New Podcast, Between the Pages, Bill Beer, Brad Glenn, Callum Nauer, Chris at the Batman to Oracle and Bat Books, Chris Franklin, Chris Lewis, Clayne Furno, Coffee and Comics, Comic Reflections, DC in the 80s, Debbie Rangel, Dr. Ange, Dr. G of Nerdology, Dr. Jennifer Schwartz-Levine, Fahim Zahid, Gal Walks Into a Comic Shop, Geek Brain Popcast, Generation X-Wing Podcast, Geo Gant, Gord Tolton, Head Cannon, Jared Albrecht, The Yard Sale Artist, Jason Pope, Jay Powers, Jeffrey Brown, Jeremiah Parker, Jonathan Brown, Justice's First Dawn, Keith G. Baker, Neil Before Flawed, <laughs> Connell, Christados, Laurel at Mountain Flower One, Longbox Crusade, Luke Dobb, Mark Lax, Martin Gray, Matthew Cody, Max Romero and his accounts with the Mirror Factory and its Plastic Man. Mike Staley. Nathaniel Wayne. Paul Keane. Rob Kelly and his accounts Digest Cast, Superman Movie Minute, Treasury Cast, and Film and Water Podcast. Rod Pruitt. Rolled Spine Podcasts. Ryan Daly. Scott X. Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast. Siskoid. Never heard of him. Tim Price. Visnu Ganon. Warlock Thanos Podcast. And Willie Yarbrough. My thanks to all of you for your support of the JLI podcast. Your feedback is such a critical part of this show, guys. And this community of JLI fans we're building together is absolutely wonderful. I love you people. And if I have forgotten or missed anyone, I am terribly sorry. It is probably entirely the fault of Luke Dobb. So just drop me a note and let me know, and I will be sure to include you in the next episode. Please keep those cards and letters coming, folks. You can hit up our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com slash JLI. That's probably the best place to leave your comments on the show. But, of course, you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at JLI Podcast. And uh, you can also email us at jlipodcast at gmail.com. My thanks again to Luke Dobb for helping me cover JLI number 20. And thanks to you listeners for such an awesome collection of feedback from that episode. Now, we're going to take a quick podcast promo break. We'll see if Siskoid has finished with his first strike invasion homework. It began with the origin of his comic book fandom. This is the very first comic book I have ever read, and also ignited the spark of my comic book collecting over the course of a 1974 weekend. 
Professor Zoom Yukinori led an ongoing expedition through his favorite single-issue comic book stories from the Bronze Age of DC Comics. Balance of Power. Have Horse. Will Fly. Solomon Grundy. Wins on a Monday. Superman's Unbeatable Rival. Green Lantern. Master Criminal of the 25th Century. With unique celebrity guest perspectives in an ambitious attempt to set this program apart from other comic book review podcasts. Call me Terror Man. Solomon Grundy am co-host this time. I am Lanos, the lexical archive of minutia, expositions, and origins. Goodbye, me am Bizarro. I am Libra. This is Aya from the Green Lantern. It is I, the Reverse Flash. Which had ended with the destruction of the universe. Or has it? Where in thunderation are we? I regret to say that you are my prisoner. Without our interspatial time conveyor, we are all essentially trapped here. Can't summon the willpower necessary for my power ring to pull me free. For nearly two decades, I had carried her ghost within my heart. Experience the wonder. Great wings of mercury! Of an all-new season. Solomon Grundy, fat little pointy-eared man before. Let us get back to the story, shall we? Down, down, and approach. Of the Done in One Wonders Podcast Wonder Show. Only on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Allow me, Entity Terra Man. That does it. They ain't messing with no timelines ever again. Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer, analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures, and absorbing alcohol. We got kids with powers, we got villains with attitude. We got superhero guests, like all of them from the Marvel Universe. We have thematically appropriate beer reviews. We have good jokes and bad song parodies. One stop for all your Power Pack pod-pleasing procurements. And we got alliteration. Find Unpacking the Power of Power Pack wherever fine podcasts are played. This is Dark Side, Lord of Apocalypse, and you're listening to the JLI podcast. I refuse to say bwah ha ha. But Dark Side, you just did. Damn it, Dasad. Be quiet before I destroy you with my Omega Beams. Okay, folks, we are back from break, and yes, it does appear Siskoid has returned from his research on invasion tie-ins. How did it go, my friend? Oh, God. There aren't as many as uh, you would have thought, so I had to read a lot of things. Thankfully, um, you know, you took your time (laughs) (laughs) reading the feedback. Uh, We're all going to dump that in the final episode, I think is what's going to happen. Okay. Uh, I talked to Bess, and uh, we still got a ways to go, but the last episode is going to be just a lot of epilogues and things that happened that are related to Invasion, you know, like years later, that kind of stuff. So going back and doing a little, uh, you know, a couple of prologue bits, that that'll work out. I get, we can do that. 
Well, I'm glad I could help you out with your completest uh, agenda there. So, good. Excellent. Well, my thanks to you, Siskoid, for appearing on this episode of the show. It's been a real treat to have you. Finally, after all these years of planning it, uh, why don't you tell the folks at home, even though you've done a great job plugging yourself already, why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find you on the internets? Well, say you don't want to listen to First Strike the Invasion podcast. <laughs> <laughs> which is the one we talked about the most. Right. Uh, elsewhere on the uh, network, I do uh, Oh, Hot More Not, which is indexing of the Marvel Universe uh, Deluxe Edition, uh, the handbook, uh, with uh, seven, uh, no, well, not seven lovely ladies. I'm one of the ladies. So six <laughs> lovely ladies and myself. And it's it's a hoot and not safe for work. So uh, there you go. And I also I also do uh, Give Me That Star Trek, which is, I, I think, one of the my better shows. I'll say that. Uh, I think it's one of the more thought-provoking ones. Yeah, I was going to say, it's very deep and thought Provoking. I mean, I find myself quite often after a Star Trek episode, I, I like, cause, you know, you you don't think Star Trek, it's just entertainment, right? But no, the conversations you guys have, even as, as it touches on life outside of Star Trek, it's deep. So ha- impressive, sir. Well, hats off to all my guests, uh, you included. You know, maybe you're the least of them, but yeah. Well, my my episode was flat out terrible, but that's fine. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead. I'm the first one to admit that. <laughs> Everybody says that. Everybody says that. Mine's was mine was the worst. No, they all say my episode uh, was terrible. But anyway, go ahead. And then also FW team up which uh, you know is all about team up books which I think we both love those are my main shows I also do uh, the, uh, you know hero points with you on occasion and uh, other things uh, you can also find me at Siskoid's blog of geekery which is uh, has one article a day at this point I'm about to hit 10 million views or something? Oh my gosh, seriously. Yeah, but me and uh, Dr. Ange, we were like comparing notes and we're both like in the nine plus millions or something. Dang, Uh, well congratulations, sir. uh, Well, you know, that's like probably October at the rate we go, but... um, It's all those Doctor Who collectible card game posts you did, you know, all those years ago. (laughs) uh, Those weren't on the blog. That's (laughs) pre-blog. So anyway, Cisco's blog of geekery is where you'll uh, you'll find my daily musings on comics, role-playing games, and other things. And of course, I am a member of the Legion of Super Bloggers. So I, I write with uh, uh, Russell Burbage uh, on uh, all the Who's Who entries. So that's that's a link to uh, our network. And on uh, that's on Wednesdays and on Thursdays, I write uh, reviews for the Reboot Legion with my Ohatmu co-hostess, uh, Shotgun. I, I'm very proud to say that I was uh, a little bit of the inspiration to create the Legion of Super Bloggers. I sort of bullied Russell into doing it and then yes. joined as one of the founding members and then promptly quit. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> and but you're somewhat responsible for the hot or not feature because you were doing hot posts before you quit. <laughs> That's true. Uh, just basically, you know, legionnaires in the shower, that that kind of thing. And uh, I wanted to bring female voices to the blog, and that's when I, you know, connected with uh, the, the, you know, six of my female friends, and we decided to rip Legionnaires apart as far as dateability goes, and that was all written, and that's on the Legion of Super Bloggers, you know, back in the archives, and that became the basis for the podcast, or Hot Moo or Not. Well, there you go. You're welcome, and I'm glad my douchey broness could be firmly established that I am a beetle or a booster, and it led to some wonderful entertainment, so it all works. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Thanks again, Cisco, for being on this episode. It was an absolute blast. I really appreciate being here. I always love recording with you. Having you here has meant a lot to me. My, as I said, my Canadian brother from another country. So, uh, folks, come back next month when we're going to cover Justice League International number 22. And we'll have another guest host to cover the issue with me. Who will it be? Sorry, you'll just have to wonder for the next month. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time, I'm Shag. I'm Siskoid. And you've been listening to the JLI Podcast. Want to make, make something, something of it? it?